It was a superhero game. That doesn't even make any sense. You don't even like superheroes. I hate superheroes. <laughs> but I signed up for the game because Darcy Ross was running it and its cipher system. You don't even like cipher system. I don't even like cipher system. This is a hell of a game. Live from the Mundangerous Massage Chairs in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 70 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing gritty and realistic D&D campaigns as we discuss low fantasy. But first, the party meets a monster manual staple in the Morning Glory campaign, and later the Lazy Lord rarely lifts a finger in the character Creation Forge. So we didn't talk about it last week because we were doing our massive, exercised review of Volo's Guide to Monsters. But Shane, you recently were in Ohio for reasons I don't quite understand. Uh, for a catacomb. Oh, okay. No, I understand. Yeah, for a role-playing convention. That's the only reason to go to Ohio. Literally, it's the only reason I'm going to Ohio, yeah. <laughs> Two years running. <laughs> it's the only reason I go. So how was it? It was incredible. I think I alluded to it last week, but didn't really get into it. But yeah, I uh, I love a catacon. That is a unique and, and very cool con. It's hosted by the RPG Academy podcast, and uh, they have been longtime friends and supporters of our show. So I was a special guest this year, which is really stretching the meaning of special. I mean, it could be the like Adam West Batman trope. Maybe next year you can be an extra special guest. Yeah, that's probably what i deserve <laughs> but yeah i mean it's a it's neat because it's a small con but it actually kind of punches above its weight in terms of the people who are there there's a lot of podcasters and friends of the show and then there's also like a lot of cool game designers that you get good access to so keith baker was there this year who we know is the creator of eberron rich baker was there who is uh, the creator of birthright as well as a bunch of D work for tsr and then now is working with Sasquatch Games. I think I guess he's the co-founder of Sasquatch Games, who owns Alternity, which was the first sci-fi system that I ever played, though I remember apparently none of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, Kenneth Height was there as well, who is uh, just a phenomenal person to sit and listen to speak about anything. Except winning an award that you wish you had won. Okay, yeah. So he is half of the <laughs> Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff podcast. <laughs> And I haven't forgiven him for that. <laughs> yeah, we got thoroughly whipped in the Ennies this year. Hey, you can't prove that we weren't third place. <laughs> there, that is an excellent point. So what did you actually do there other than schmooze and embarrass us? I actually did not a lot of schmoozing. I did a lot of playing games, uh, more so than Gen Con, which is where I usually do the schmoozing uh, poorly. So I ran Fiasco, or I facilitated Fiasco. Uh, it doesn't really require a GM. Uh, we ended up playing the same the same scenario that I ran last year, uh, which is adventures returning from uh, killing a dragon and uh, returning to a small, crappy town on the frontier with a whole treasure hoard of gold. And uh, it was a Fiasco game. <laughs> it ended in time travel and characters <laughs> being paradoxed out of existence and being killed by my own son who was actually a golem, I guess. It was yeah, it was weird. Which is the quintessential fiasco game. Yeah, that's how like every fiasco game should end in my opinion, <laughs> with with fundamental weirdness and tragedy. But then that night I played in I think the best RPG session I've ever been a part of, if I'm being honest. Wow, that's actually actually high praise. 
and it was a superhero game. So let that say. That doesn't in. even make any sense. I know. You yeah. don't even like superheroes. I hate superheroes. <laughs> uh, but I saw, I signed up for the game because Darcy Ross was running it and it's Cypher System. You don't even like Cypher System. I don't even like Cypher System. Uh, but I really like <laughs> this Darcy. It's a hell of a game. I really like Darcy and I really wanted to be a part of one of her games because I never had the opportunity to do that. Uh, heard she's a, an amazing GM. She is. So it was a classic setup, right, of a superhero team having to take down a villain. There was a bit of a twist at the end. What made it so amazing was all the players at the table and the way that Darcy kind of encouraged us to turn this into a CW drama. I can't really recreate it, you know, two or three weeks later and have the same effect, but I'll just say, like, it really made me appreciate the value of setting up secrets and interpersonal conflict and character relationships in advance and made me really appreciate having players that were really comfortable being their characters and uh, acting like idiots and, you know, making fools of themselves. And uh, Darcy really encouraged us to do some neat superhero stuff uh, that Cypher System accounts for mechanically uh, in pretty cool ways. We had, I believe it was called the Iron Hotshot Put, in which our, (laughs) like, Steel Colossus character (laughs) threw our super strong character who shot-putted our Human Torch character an exorbitant distance into the big bad and then because it was cw drama proceeded to make out i'm glad we're talking about low fantasy today because <laughs> yeah. i feel like i need a gritty shower right <laughs> the climax of the game involved everyone cashing in constant xp to re-roll until we got the crit we needed to make that kiss happen nice then saturday i played you two can cthulhu which is my first attempt at call of cthulhu seventh edition we lived, which is apparently That's not the strange. way that's supposed to go. Yeah, yeah, we figured it out. Then I playtested Alternity with Rich Baker, which I'm excited about. It, Like I said, I barely remember the original. I played the StarCraft box set of Alternity. <laughs> it's my first sci-fi game. Uh, but I think it's uh, it's really neat. It was sort of a post-apocalyptic wasteland sort of scenario. And, you know, it, it kind of gives you some cool, like, movie hero stunt kind of mechanics for combat so uh i'm really excited to see where it goes and then we mentioned this last week but you ran your first adventures league game yes how was that uh it was interesting uh i will say i mean it was um it was really neat so uh, a catacon had a bunch of adventures league games planned and uh the gms didn't show up nice yeah so uh it fell to uh, lucas from city of brass to coordinate all of the adventures league games uh, which meant he ended up mostly running Adventures League all weekend. Mm. And then the other table of Adventures League, uh, he ended up, you know, just grabbing guest DMs to read the module and run it. So I had we had dinner together and I was like, you know, I actually don't have a game at this time. I guess I could just pick it up and run it. And so I did. The one drawback to a pickup game is sometimes they can also be drop off games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting. I was surprised. I felt very beholden to the players in a way that I generally don't. You never feel beholden to your players. I can attest. That's true. <laughs> I think this scenario, they were probably between 7th and ninth level. Um, it was uh, a dish best served cold by James Intricasso, friend mm-hmm. of the show. Um, his first Adventures League module, and it was a good module, and one that I enjoyed running. But they had been through session after session after session accumulating xp and items and all these different things right and so if i show up and 
kill one of them. <laughs> you know, uh, that feels a little bit unsporting, particularly because they're the types of encounters that you can't really avoid. So if the module kind of forces you into a combat and then I proceed to kill your character because I'm using brutally realistic tactics, is that fun for the Adventures League player? I mean, did you make carrion crawlers use brutally realistic tactics? Oh, I don't know if I should spoil it. I'm going to spoil it. If you are interested in running <laughs> Adventures League and that module or playing in it, don't listen to this. But I, I ran a Fey encounter, uh, three green hags, and... You know, when you have three of them in a coven, they get some pretty high level spells, and how you select to target those spells can be pretty gnarly. A uh, hag should, I think, never make a mistake in who they target. Right, but I spread out their targeting instead of actually. Well, they also like to play with their food. They don't necessarily want to kill. But they were kind of overmatched. Um... You know, so it was one of those things where, like, if I had played them truly hag centric right meaning they were constantly invisible always attacking from the shadows and, mm -hmm. and all those sorts of things i could have out tacticked the party because i set up the battle map and it was that type of trick encounter the party knew it was coming <laughs> they suspected they were you know hags and then they you know eventually got ambushed but i feel like i could have tpk'd right because hags are strong enough and flexible enough to do that yeah that's true of course hags might also just teleport away <laughs> Well, and that's, you know, that's the trick of that encounter is that when one hag dies, the others are going to leave because they don't not... have three anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now they're significantly weaker yeah. and uh, <laughs> they just lost one of their sisters. <laughs> they didn't like her anyway, but right. yeah. <laughs> they kind of need her. Uh, but it ended up being really fun. I, I mean, the group had some, some good role play that I didn't necessarily expect from an Adventures League game. They played well amongst themselves as players. That kind of gave me a chance to double check the encounter um i had 10 minutes to prepare for it so some of the social stuff i kind of had to read on the fly but ultimately had a lot of fun so i was pleasantly surprised i would actually run adventures league again i think uh, maybe for like newer players probably but that wasn't the only DD that you played oh no then i got to run my own DD game <laughs> <laughs> which fits with our theme today it does uh i ran an all martial party i pulled the huge dick move I started them all off with only one hit die worth of hit points <laughs> as they were uh, kind of waking up from having been ambushed and left for dead. That's fair. Uh, yeah. I mean, except that I very nearly TPK'd them in the first encounter. Okay. Well, you know, don't immediately sick eight bandits on them. Oh, how about six? Six seems like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I realized that I probably didn't give them be because of the hp rolls i think i i sort of set them oh, up for failure oh you let them roll I, I, they one rolled hit, a die. hit die ouch yeah so they didn't even have level one hp Oof. and uh and because they were all martial they had no magic to heal each other so i quickly ran into a problem with the healing skill or the medicine skill that right. i needed to fix but you know we got through that in a comfortable way and it ended up i think with a really neat ending or at least a neat climax and i think the players had fun if you didn't, and you were in that game, send us a message at TPTCast on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I got a little bit of a chance to sort of egg the pudding, as it were, for today's topic. <laughs> because I, I have a little experience of, of the challenges that a party faces when you start going into really low fantasy type scenarios. But, you know, my main takeaway from this is is having played in five different systems for, you know, four different gms and and six different groups right it's just that people play games in different ways and 
and interesting ways and they have fun with different things and it's incredible to see uh, how groups come together and, and how those games play out when it's not just the assumptions of our home group yeah i think that's one of the nicest things about a big con is you know even if you have a group like ours where everybody who plays eventually runs a game that's like six different styles you might see but you can see so many more at a con yeah and i think the gm's personality comes across a lot stronger in a con game Mm -hmm. where players are are really kind of beholden to them to sort of move things you know towards the direction the game is supposed to go whereas in our home group especially a lot of times the gm feels beholden to the group (laughs) you know we have certain things that we're going to do regardless of what game you're running like we're going to find a vehicle and name it the hostile negotiator get over it (laughs) you think we get tired of that but never nope the joke never worse then (laughs) all right so while we were reviewing volo's guide and while you were at a catacon and i was out of the country wizards of the coast was actually doing some work it seems like they were doing it by themselves too instead of outsourcing it so that's interesting it turns out that they've been releasing a new Unearthed Arcana basically every week, and it seems like the plan is to do that for the next few months. They're releasing every Monday a new Unearthed Arcana. So far, it's all been class options. Hmm. Yeah. So next week, we'll discuss what that means. And then the week after that, we will go through multiple Unearthed Arcanas and review them. Yeah, we'll we'll catch up, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's also been a week since we covered the Morning Glory campaign. Yeah. So where are we? Really close to the end. (laughs) (laughs) I think in-game we're actually beginning the recap of what was the final session. Yeah. So Morning Glory was our three-year-long Eberron campaign that we ran from levels 1 to 20. We're now at the point where the party has infiltrated the silver flame to track down and destroy bell shaler the shadow and the flame the fiendish overlord who has corrupted the silver flame and all different parts of the eberronian multiverse and is now seeking to remake it in his own image they have arrived with an apparatus that they believe can make him mortal and they're here to kill him they are now venturing directly toward his golden tower where they believe that they can find him and as they approach it it explodes Fortunately, these are 20th level PCs, and most of them are able to dodge the large pieces of metal shrapnel coming off the tower. Those who do, however, then get hit with the radiant energy exploding from within the tower. And what's inside the tower, or at least the remains thereof, once we do? It's a Tarrasque. Oh, is it just one Tarrasque? (laughs) To most of you, it looks like one Tarrasque. Uh-huh. Uh, however, Bahar, who has true sight, notices that he can see six of them superimposed on top of each other like after images. Right. So instead of a instead of the blur spell, which looks normal with true sight, it's the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> and it rushes very quickly. Of course, the party isn't dumb. You're sort of spaced out. So it takes a swipe at what looks like the person in front, Calic, obviously. And... It hits, because the Tarrasque has plus 19 to hit. Uh Uh-huh. And then proceeds to hit everyone else, even those who are sort of out of its reach. Because Bahar can see that these superimposed images have actually moved one one to engage with each of the party members. So each time the Tarrasque attacks, that attack is made against each one of the party. 
and the Tarask attacks five times per round. Lovely. And it has legendary actions. Which it uses to attack. <laughs> Great. <laughs> this encounter was specifically built to wear the party down, to make them use up their spells, especially their healing spells, and specifically their wishes, of which they had two. Brand had a wish, and Emery had a wish. Uh, I think you're forgetting about Simubrand. Oh, right. You did have a simulacrum. Brand's faithful simulacrum, <laughs> who was far smarter than him. Three wishes. <laughs> Smart enough not to waste that wish. <laughs> I also built this so that it it would prevent one PC from standing in the front, taking all of the damage, and then just having the rest of you either heal or just like resurrect them. Yeah. Which is really one of the drawbacks to the Tarask, which is such an iconic monster, but is usually it's a big dumb brute and it doesn't have really ranged attacks unless you sort of fake them. Yep. It's a monster that's easy to outsmart or or to figure out. So the party is fighting back valiantly against this horrendous monster that is taking giant chunks out of them every single time it gets a chance to act. And they all notice that each time they hit it, small bits of bluish mist are torn away from its body and then dissipate. And they notice that it looks very much like the souls of the peasants trapped in the prison city of Tyr that were sucked into the ziggurat when Belshalor's Templars attacked and harvested their souls. Now, if you recall, the party was able to save all but 785 of those peasants. 785 souls were harvested by the Templars. I'm sure that number has special meaning for this encounter. The Tarask had 785 hit points. Right. Thank God we, thank God we didn't, you know, let like 1,400 people die. Yeah. <laughs> This could have had up to 10,000 hit points, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's some fun math. <laughs> I figured you'd be able to save some people. Right. And you guys did a really good job. I was expecting to have more like, yeah, you know, 1,000 hit points, something like that. Yeah, I mean, we still got put to the ropes. Yeah, I would say it's a glass cannon, but it, like it's, an, it's an iron cannon, Yeah, really. Yeah. Um, it was dishing out a ton of damage. You guys were doing everything that you could to basically throw life force back into yourselves while it, it just kept tearing it out of you but you guys were also very good at dishing out plenty of damage i think you had how many bolts of a scorching ray uh well yeah i mean we just burn max scorching rays each round to, yeah and calic uh, was like i don't know i max smite max again smite. yeah exactly and then lou had her eldritch blasts yeah yeah so i mean we were capable of putting out good damage but it still took like five rounds of just teeing up toe to toe yeah you're lucky that calic had revivify yeah yeah it was impressive plus you also had all of those abilities from the epic destinies that i gave you guys which right. is why this seems like such an overpowered encounter because it totally is Mm -hmm. And finally, you put the Tarask down, and we didn't have to go through any weird wishy rigmarole because I didn't even bother with that. Because that wasn't the point. What was the point, Ishan? <laughs> the Tarask goes down. The party is worn down, and then they feel from everywhere a presence approaching. And we'll find out what that ominous presence was next week. So this week, we're talking about low fantasy in D&D. But Shane, what do you mean by low fantasy? Low brow? No, not low brow. Distinctly not low brow. <laughs> Though I don't mind that in my D&D either. <laughs> Slapstick D&D we're talking about this week. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, so, so low fantasy is, I think, best described as, from a setting perspective, it's 
limited fantasy elements, so the the hallmarks of fantasy, right, which leaves our rationality intact. So so the rationality of our world, right, the themes of our lives are remaining intact in low fantasy. So it could be an alternate version of our world, like Harry Potter, or it could be just an Earth analog, like Game of Thrones. But the point is, people act the way people act because the fantasy elements haven't so overshadowed the human experience that humans are almost alien to us. Yeah, the series I typically think of is Conan. Yeah, Conan's really good because it actually has pretty high magic. But it's not everywhere. Right. It's in limited enough amounts that it still feels like Conan the king going to war for his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Or Conan the thief breaking into the vault <laughs> conan the multi-class right <laughs> and then you know my personal inspiration for this was black company which i've talked about now probably every episode for the past 20 episodes um but that series of novels is sort of the iconic dark fantasy low fantasy um, from starting in the 80s i guess and then from a narrative perspective i think low fantasy hinges on stories that are kind of similar to our reality right similar to the way that we experience life um so they're, they're very personal it's not about you know becoming the the best around never going to bring you down it's not about saving the world it's not about ascending to godhood the way that you think of like elminster does right uh it's about being a person who has practical desires and happens to be dealing with fantasy elements as, as a source of drama for achieving that yeah and that groundedness is often sort of out of necessity you know you can't try to become a demigod because that's not a thing that happens right right and the idea of say you know a deity interceding in your everyday life mm -hmm. uh and, and not in a faith-based way but in a you know showing up and touching you sort of way and then <laughs> everyone goes oh yeah that's a god you know um e even beyond sort of the greek mythology is very high fantasy, right? It's like the antithesis of low fantasy. Yeah. Crom doesn't say anything. Right, yeah. Crom might as well not exist. Heretic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't let Conan hear that. <laughs> so this must mean that like people are you know, scraping to get by and like slogging through blood and bodies all the time, right? I mean, it can. Right? That's that's the gritty and realistic, but I don't think that's required. Uh, you don't have to be a level one sh farmer <laughs> to be... Uh, <laughs> To be in a low fantasy game, right? Unless this is Warhammer fantasy. Uh, well, I mean, that, that could be a literal job, and it's not the worst job. <laughs> or Shadows of the Demon Lord, to be honest. <laughs> no, I mean, I think uh, Princess Bride, for example, is actually low fantasy. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have the R-O-U-S's and, and that sort of thing. Those are, those are real. I think they're capybaras. Actual resurrection, <laughs> right? Um, he wasn't all dead. <laughs> but the story is just... The woman I love has been kidnapped or, you know, from the real hero's perspective, it's I need to avenge the death of my father because <laughs> Inigo Montoya is a real hero. Yeah, it's his story. Yeah. Because he becomes the Dread Pirate Roberts. Right. Yeah. But all of the elements that we love about it are plausible in right. the real world. Right. Except tracking a falcon on a cloudy day. Nobody does that. Okay. Doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Rangers are OP. <laughs> Um, and if you want to get into the lowbrow and slapstick, I mean, I Dream of Genie is technically low fantasy. Yeah, because while Genie is capable of doing amazing things, she's the only one. Right. You know, the 
amount of magic is still very small. Right. And the uh, the drama of the show, right, is all about, you know, hiding her magic from their friends, you know, <laughs> or or her running as a, you know, as a fantasy being running into the mundanity of real life. I thought the show was about sexual tension. I mean, it is kind of. <laughs> A lot, of, a lot of Nick at Night for you, huh? <laughs> the many loves of Dobie Gillis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about Bewitched. Uh, poor Eva Gabor. <laughs> All right. So why are we talking about this specifically in Dungeons & Dragons? Well, because I think D&D is sort of the hallmark uh, for gaming with fantasy tropes. You know, some of it it created and, and others it has wholeheartedly embraced. Um, and especially with 5th edition, Forgotten Realms being kind of your standard setting, right? I mean, Forgotten Realms is the highest fantasy of the high fantasy. Yeah, D&D never met a kind of magic you didn't like. Right. And then build a subsystem for. <laughs> right, or psionics or, you know, whatever. Right? Come on in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, magic is clearly the, the biggest part of what makes D&D D&D, right? Uh, and, and the Vancean casting is sort of its hallmark. Uh, but even you know derivatives of magic right you have the non-human races and fantasy monsters yeah there's no person who lives in a D world who doesn't think that goblins are real yeah yeah because <laughs> they see them right. all the time right and, and likewise there's no person in forgotten realms who doesn't believe that asmodeus is real right mm-hmm. uh, because you know sometimes asmodeus just crawls out of the nine hells and decides to you know raise an army in faerun Sometimes he shows up and is like, you know, you're having a tough time at work. Yeah. (laughs) I see you're a farmer. Right. (laughs) Did you aspire to that? (laughs) Don't you want to be a mycology farmer? (laughs) (laughs) Proctologist? You could get paid. (laughs) Right. There are also literal actual dungeons. As far as I can tell, this is a D&D thing, right? Yeah, it's not like the Bastille. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> but but the idea that you have a dungeon where somebody has placed loot with the purpose of keeping people away from that loot. Right? Yeah, where do you think the Legend of Zelda got it from? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I guess you could probably make the argument that there's some dungeons in Conan. But most of those have a little more justification than just being a dungeon. Other conceits like adventuring parties people who was job like job is to go out and find things in dungeons which are big holes in the ground and like haul back large sacks of gold coins right yeah your job is to go get loot out of holes (laughs) that's it like aladdin did that but like there are guilds of people who are aladdins right yeah (laughs) the idea of the adventurer is not new right there were adventurers and lots of times even in american history Mm -hmm. along the frontier uh, they were like hunters and mountain men and gold prospectors and those sorts of people. They didn't go looking for hidden caches of treasure. That's ridiculous. And then there's also just the uh, kind of perpetual state of the very Eurocentric feudalism, right, as a social construct. So you've got your lords and nobility, you've got your serfs and vassals, you have the guild structure. Um, you know, you have the, the artisan class is sort of the only thing that really passes as not a farmer. All right. So that is all the stuff that makes D&D D&D. But what if you want to play D&D, but you don't really want that stuff? So, and this is why we're talking about it, is that 
D and D doesn't really provide a blueprint for stripping those elements out. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say you play D and D to play D and D, and that's not every fantasy game, right? For example, in the DMG, you can use the rules for gritty realism, which means you just lengthen rest times, more sleeping. Yeah, <laughs> have fun staying in bed laid up for a month now because you broke your leg while adventuring. <laughs> Great, that's the story I want to tell. From my perspective, this is similar to the way that we adapt character archetypes to D&D in the Character Creation Forge. Now we're trying to take the thematic ideas of low fantasy and adapt them to D&D. So we're going to break it. Oh yeah, we're going to break it. (laughs) So there's the elephant in the room with D&D, and it's that magic is so woven throughout the system and throughout the generic story that D&D is built to tell. Yeah, I mean, D&D just assumes you have magic and not even just a little magic, like a lot of magic. Yeah, the level 20 D&D wizard is often sort of held up as the gold standard of ridiculously powerful. Right. Uh, And even in settings that don't have magic, like Dark Sun, you got magic. Yeah. And then you've replaced the not magic with psionics as well. Your 20th level psionicists, which actually are more terrifying. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So they've got that type of very supernatural element right and, and so one of the things that D does that's very D ish is distinguishing in the types of magic so you've got your divine magic you've got your arcane magic i think in fourth edition you had primal magic right mm-hmm. the, yep. the shadow magic, magic. Yeah. yeah and effectively psionics is a different type of magic as well mechanically those distinctions have no effect uh they usually are different colors sure and uh the different classes have spell lists and different spell progressions and ways of preparing or spontaneous casting and all those things. But the idea of the type of magic is just a narrative construct to justify that, right? It's it's just a balancing element. So you can just throw it out, which is what a lot of people already do. Yeah. Like, do I need to look up whether my sorcerer gets access to web? Just they can cast web. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they can't cast that. Doesn't matter. They just won't learn how. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need a distinction, right? Or, I I always screw up, is the bard divine or arcane? Who cares? Doesn't matter. He's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) How about Vancian casting? Well, I hate it. (laughs) So Vancian casting is the idea of having spell levels and spell slots and uh, spells per day. Which is such a metagame concept. Yes. But characters in-game talk about it. It's hard not to. It's very hard not to because they, they don't have like a real, oh, I'm out of that slot today. Right. Like it's, I'm exhausted? I don't know. So in 5th edition, the Dungeon Master's Guide does have a spell point option, which lets you, instead of using slots at different levels, just combines them all into one large pool of points that you spend, which makes more sense in terms of like a like a mana system you know Mm -hmm. i have a certain amount of magical energy that i expend throughout the day until i rest and i use that to cast my spells but mechanically as we found out in the morning glory campaign it it only adds flexibility i thought that you know the conversion rate would sort of tax you a bit for that flexibility but it doesn't Mm -mm. like it did in 3.5 so i actually don't recommend using it yeah, and, and the problem there is that you never pay more for a spell than you want to, mm-hmm. right? So you never run into that issue of, I need to cast shield so I don't die. 
but I only have third level slots. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to blow a third level slot on a first level spell and suck it up, wizard. Yeah. Great. That's the trappings of magic. But let's talk about magic in a setting. Because I think one of the things that, that's a hallmark of low fantasy and, and what's really going to distinguish it in D&D is going to be reducing the magic level in the setting. So actually removing magic. Yeah, that's what you're shooting for when you're trying to you know bring down the level of fantasy. Right. Like we said, it's tough because it is considered to be standard. You talked about playing an all martial game. There are classes that don't naturally have magic, but I that's less than half the classes in the PHP. Oh, it's it's way less than that. Trust me, I had to build the pregens. <laughs> and you still need to pull out certain subclasses of those classes. Oh yeah, because the fighter has a hybrid caster, the rogue has a hybrid caster. You I, could almost all the monk, really. I that's the thing is I didn't even include a monk because key points are basically supernatural magic, right? right. So you need to reflavor it. Yeah. As like battle master fighter maneuvers. Right. Barbarians got those totems. And so what happened is it's tough to make differentiated characters from the leftover bits if you just remove magic. Mm-hmm. And that was my challenge is it, you know, how do I make these characters distinct, right? If I have to have two fighters, <laughs> how do I make sure the champion and the battle master aren't stepping on each other's toes? Right. It's also really tough because where's the cleric? I, I mean, where's your healer? That's the other thing is there were just things that our party could not do. Mm-hmm. And healing was the most apparent one. Um, and then the other thing is is to keep in mind, there are a lot of features for classes and, and abilities or racial abilities that are actually defenses or natural responses to magic existing. So what does an elf's immunity to sleep mean if the concept of the sleep spell, of magical sleep, doesn't exist anymore? What's the value of that? And the elf, you know, the high elf getting a cantrip for free is its own bag of worms, right? Yeah, it's tough because that means that you're keeping elves in. Right. And not just limiting it to humans. Well, which is another issue, right? Mm -hmm. Just that you've got racial variety is probably tougher to skin as different nationalities of human, you know. Although I've done that before, like in a Star Wars game. I was running a Firefly game using Star Wars rules. And I just said, make yourself whatever like crazy Star Wars race you want. We're just going to flavor that as like genetic diversity. Yeah, which is fine. I and mean, I think that works for lots of races. But the ones that are more magically inclined, that's going to be a problem. Right? Yeah, tiefling. Yeah. Aarakocra. Oh, yeah. Aarakocra is just a... <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm light on my feet. Yeah. <laughs> really, really, really light on light. my feet. <laughs> but, I mean, even going back to the elf sleep, right? Um, even if you have the sleep spell as a thing that exists, if you're in a low magic setting, the idea that a group of people would have a racial immunity or defense against that implies a certain level of prevalence, mm-hmm. right? You don't develop a defense to something that rarely comes up. Like no one is uh, immune to nuclear attacks because they've only ever happened twice. Well, we don't know. Okay. I guess we, we won't know, will we? <laughs> <laughs> I could be immune to nuclear attacks. You go test that theory. <laughs> I think I'll get the chance in the next four years. Yeah, let's uh, fingers crossed that doesn't happen. We mentioned earlier the suggestion in the Dungeon Master's Guide for making D&D more low fantasy was gritty realism, right? The gritty realism option is longer rests. Right. But I would say that to 
deal with the issue that you ran into, which is that there was not really a way to heal, I would move in the complete opposite direction. I would make rests much, much shorter and then move away from the tendency to, def to define hit points as meat in these gritty systems. Oh, you know, yeah, so yeah. you can recover quickly. You didn't necessarily break your leg. You were winded. Right. And it takes five minutes to spend that hit die. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's key. And I think the distinction between temp HP and regular HP hmm. also doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense mm -hmm. when you're trying to do the sort of low fantasy. And that, that was something specifically we ran into is we had ways to get temp HP, uh, which doesn't revive you <laughs> when you're <Right>. at zero, <laughs> uh, which I, I just house ruled on the fly that, hey, cool, you're up. You yeah. know, because that's more fun for the players. <laughs> so how about just restricting either, you know, more blanket things like spell levels or restricting certain classes, either the max level in that class or its availability at all, um, or going through and kind of redlining specific spells? I mean, I think that's much easier than stripping out magic altogether, right? So clerics exist. Healing magic exists. There's just no cleric higher than third level. Right. That is totally doable because, honestly, these low fantasy games are probably going to take place at lower levels anyway. Right. Before even a fighter's abilities get crazy. But one thing you can run into is cantrips. Mm -hmm. Because cantrips scale on player level and or on character level, and it's a big balancing factor for spellcasters. And if cantrips are your main source of attack for a hedge mage... Um. well it doesn't really feel rare does it yeah I mean I think you may just strip out cantrips and then make sure that everybody has proficiency in crossbows yeah yeah just give a give a baseline weapon to your spellcasters yeah and that moves back a lot toward 3.5 where you know hopefully your wizard has a 14 dexterity right. and you've got like a plus 2 to hit and you're not going to do a bunch of damage, but that's because you used up your spells and you got to hide in the back. Which, I mean, you know, from a balance perspective, makes decks even more of a god stat, right? Mm -hmm. But also in a low fantasy setting, it's unlikely that you're going to have an adventurer who is solely a wizard. Right. Right. They're probably going to be a multi-class wizard. They're going to have some levels in fighter because that's what you do. You can't actually get to wizard 20 because there's not that much magic. Right. Druids are another just strange point here. Yeah, in 5th edition, every druid gets to turn into an animal. Yeah, which I don't know how that fits into low fantasy. Mm -hmm. Even though uh, Black Company has shape-shifting. <laughs> there are, there are high-level mages who that's their shtick is they shape-shift. But druids do it at level 2. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like that one maybe makes sense if you restrict it to like a multi-class at later level. You know, so you only need Druid too, but you got to be character level 12 to get it. Something like that. Yeah, that's possible. That I, or just no Druids, only Rangers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of, you know, our show notes literally say WTF. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what do you do with it? It's a sore thumb that's going to stick out. Yeah. Maybe NPCs. Yeah. I would have a Druid NPC. All right. How'd they do that? I don't know. Right, yeah. So you also need to think about monster choices because there are lots of monsters especially at mid to high levels that are casters mm -hmm. right they actually get spell slots to use and that's what makes them threatening bosses as 
NPCs. Mm-hmm. So some of that you can reflavor and some of it you can't, <laughs> right? That's uh, you, you got to be careful as to what you're picking. Although if you're imaginative, you can reflavor nearly everything. What, what I would like to do or, or how I, I would think that I would handle it is put those types of creatures in lairs mm-hmm. and flavor their spells as traps and preparations yeah right yeah. so layer actions things like that yeah so yeah. it's not a fireball it's him triggering uh alchemist fire falling on you from the ceiling right pot yeah. of boiling oil triggered by minions yeah something mm-hmm. like that where it's it, it's got a narrative construct but the same mechanic which is actually a good segue because i think one way to help ease the load is to just reflavor your magic as mundane activities it's not a fireball it's a minion throwing a pot of boiling oil like you said or maybe you reflavor your wizard as a tinkerer who has tons of crazy gadgets i mean some classes can do this more easily than others yeah definitely i I think the ranger is probably the one that comes to mind for me in that some of the the spells seem like supernatural in the way that they can communicate with animals for example but also not necessarily out of the realm of possibility for a heroic type who's very attuned to nature yeah people understand dogs yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah or maybe the birds aren't speaking to you but you can understand certain kinds of animal behavior yeah the birds are acting in a particular way and that means that whatever prey is nearby there's a forest fire something exactly and you know some of them like primeval awareness you're just kind of like all right sure aragorn set his ear to the ground and heard the riders of rohan coming (laughs) whatever (laughs) yeah we didn't even mention the lord of the rings which for most of those books is pretty low fantasy there's not much magic going on there are literally five wizards in the world very true uh also the whole idea of sending a group of idiots to uh <laughs> to carry a ring to a volcano right there's one magic ring so i guess there's one now there's, there's a few others that are lost yeah <laughs> there's one ruling them anyway <laughs> uh the bard is another candidate i think some of the bardic magic is a uh, a little more attack focused but um, especially a lot of the charming kind of stuff, I think, could easily be reflavored as, you know, just a an entrancing presence. Yeah, and words cut deep. I yeah, I mean, I I don't even reflavor cutting words. <laughs> <laughs> of course, once your quote unquote adventuring party goes into that hole in the ground, or wherever, and finds the loot that they were looking for, D and D expects that a lot of it is going to be magical. Yeah. They're going to find plus one weapons. They're going to find potions of healing or flying. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, a broom of flying doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uncommon. Right. Totally changes a game. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you probably want to mess with the rarity, right? It's okay for those to be extremely unique and special items. You just have to make sure they don't become extremely mundane items. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, and and I think especially for weapons and, and armor, a lot of that you can reflavor as quality. You know, like what makes a plus one sword physically unique from a regular sword? A monomolecular edge. Okay, done. <laughs> you just reflavored it. I don't know how you measured that, but. <laughs> 
I think you can take a lesson from the Lord of the Rings here in that there are magic items and they are wildly powerful, but there are a handful in the entire world, right? Mm -hmm. Aragorn has a magic sword. Yep. There's a magic ring. Actually, the mithril shirt that Frodo has isn't even magical. Right. You know, it's just really nice. Uh, Yeah. And Gandalf has a magic sword. Although its magic is really limited to sometimes it glows when there are goblins. It glows when there's something near, yeah. (laughs) And then Galadriel has some magic stuff, most of which is useless garbage. Sorry, Gimli. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Three strands of my hair. Right. (laughs) A vial that casts the light spell. Also, they're dying and running away. (laughs) But you can sprinkle these throughout. They don't necessarily all need to be very low level magic items. They can be very, very, very rare. Yeah. One magic item per player, basically. Mm-hmm. Or you go the opposite direction and make them very, very low powered, which is also fine. Yep. Now, keep in mind that if you are stripping out magic items either entirely or dialing them back, that hurts characters that don't have access to magic in another way. So if you're not dialing back your casters or removing your casters, you're just going to end up hurting martial characters more. Yeah, it, it, it's got to be a holistic approach to reducing magic. You can't just be targeting that one thing. Right. If you take out the potions of flying, you also need to deal with the people who can literally cast fly. Yeah, yeah. So what about the narrative side of low fantasy? Um, because it's one thing to monkey with the mechanics, but it's another thing to actually build stories that highlight the story elements that are representative of low fantasy. Yeah, I think this is a little bit easier because you could just basically run a different kind of campaign and make the story using D&D rules. You know, so this could be like the Wild West or a Conan story or Black Company story and you just run that, but everyone's playing with D&D characters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, it's <laughs> it's easy to get rid of dungeons. <laughs> like like <laughs> a lot of modern adventures have already done that. They're in a dungeons. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you put it underground? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's conspicuously few dungeons and dragons in this game. <laughs> I do think one of the the, the challenges, and, and just look at the skill list of D&D, right, is that it very largely assumes you're going to be a professional adventurer, mm-hmm. you know, or a member of a thieves guild, or, or have some reason to be putting these very... Mm, uh, anti-social behaviors into normal practice, right? Because the average person is not doing the things that an adventurer does. Right. You tend to have a lot of mercenary companies. Yeah, you know, or soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you've got, like, your town watch and your marshals and your, uh, you know, investigating do-gooders and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Then there's the problem that I run into, which is if the campaign doesn't end with the party saving the world, then, like, what are they doing? well i mean it doesn't have to be uh, preventing destruction it could be building something good right they could be like settlers staking a claim well like building things with their hands well i mean not with their hands but like you know they they are maybe founding a colony that's much easier with wish (laughs) well yeah i know that's why it's not compelling in standard (laughs) D. &D. Um, i I think another story that makes a lot of sense and, and that gets used in you know, D&D without any modification as well that, that still plays really well in low fantasy is the idea of being a regular guy or gal who's caught up in just a bigger plot around them, right? So um, you've got a particularly oppressive noble who is, uh, you know, threatening 
the happiness and livelihood of a town. How do you break that yoke? Yeah, in a normal D&D game, you would take your magic sword and go chop that yoke in half. Yeah. (laughs) But when you're restricted to the abilities that most people actually have in real life, it can make for a much more compelling story because now you need to actually use those skills. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in D&D, the skill system takes a backseat to combat or to magic because you don't need a more mundane way to handle things. And it can make it really rewarding to run or play in a game that is revolving around political intrigue, for for instance. Yeah, that's something that we often introduce into our games, even when systems don't support it very well. Mm -hmm. And sometimes magic actually gets in the way of those games because, you know, we have a bunch of players who are, you know, quote unquote, realistic within the game world. And if there's magic that exists that can handle this problem, why don't we just do that? Right. You know, why we don't need to figure out if they're lying. We just cast zone of truth. Exactly. Yeah. And and so that's one thing I would say with political intrigue specifically is that D&D is actually not a great system for it, mm-hmm. even though we constantly try and force <laughs> it in, you know, um, just look at the skill list, right? You've got persuasion, deception, intimidation, and insight. That's your social skill. Um, there, there, there could be a lot more nuance there and, and, those the other mechanics surrounding the skills are much more focused on action than they are on talking right although i will say we recently played a little bit of blades in the dark and that has a very small skill list but it has a small skill list across the board right it's not well that the skill list isn't very broad in, in any one element of the game right so i'm saying there were four social skills and yet it felt like we had so many options for ways we could interact with other people. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of that is that we didn't have a ton of other options. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> uh, so, so just be aware, as you try and get away from um, D&D's sort of weighting towards combat, um, you'll, you'll start compounding your challenges mm-hmm. right you're, you're trying to fit a different type of game into the D system as well as stripping out core elements of D. so how about feudalism that's the other hallmark of D, right like the narrative or the setting that's something that's more easily changed than the mechanics uh, but you're probably going to need to explain it to your players if they've played a lot of D ahead of time yeah, I mean, you, you want them to understand what the social norms are, <laughs> right? You don't want them thinking, oh, I'm just a peasant. I can't say that when they're actually in a relatively progressive sort of modern looking society. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, D&D doesn't really have any mechanical connection to its form of government. Prior editions did. You know, birthright is a whole system built on a form of government for AD&D. Yeah, the old school fighter used to gain titles as you leveled up. Yeah, and then like followers mm-hmm. who fought for you, which was your balance <laughs> against magic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, which th- that concept doesn't make a whole lot of sense in, say, you know, the Wild West. <laughs> so, do you think it's doable to do low fantasy in D anD D, Ishan? It definitely is, and I think Five E is probably one of the D anD D systems that is the, it is the easiest to do it with. 
Now, that may sound counterintuitive because magic is really well ingrained into 5th edition, but 5e is also so much more hackable than something like 3.5. Yeah, I think that's the key is there's fewer mechanics to consider in 5th edition. Yeah, and fewer things that will break and then create this wacky Rube Goldberg of like cascading effects throughout the system. Yeah, I, the one thing that sticks out is the healing problem. Mm-hmm. But once you account for that, I mean, I think 5th edition plays pretty nicely. Yeah, I agree. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, that is me hoarding healing potions. Because I hear where we're going, they don't have them. <laughs> well, let's move on to the character creation forge and find out who's going to be using those healing potions. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us, if you can't fit it into 140 characters, at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. All right, so this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Lazy Lord. It's one of my favorite archetypes. So tell me about it. They don't do much. Oh? Yeah, they're a warlord, which was a class introduced in 4th edition that had a lot of powers that could enable allies to take actions or make attacks, things like that. So that's where the lord comes in. But really, it's any character that is more focused on enabling allies than actually taking actions or making attacks themselves the lazy lord is lazy because they don't need to swing their sword arm right now it's a little tough to bring this all together in fifth edition because like we talked about earlier D is really focused on combat uh-huh so it was actually pretty tough to dig up enough abilities to give the Lazy Lord things to do that wouldn't be better than just hitting it with a sword. Specifically, lots of things that are good to do take bonus actions. Yeah. So I was constantly looking for ways to not use my bonus action. You just get the one, and there isn't a way to get another bonus action. Right. Even Action Surge doesn't give you extra bonus actions. It's mm-hmm. just extra action. So we also needed to look for other ways to sort of use up or burn those actions or attacks so what's the build battlemaster fighter 12 valor bard 5 mastermind 3 no no no. okay get out of here with that mastermind rogue okay i believe when we reviewed it we said it was awful it is awful but for three levels <laughs> it could be yours <laughs> Hear me out here. So at third level, so Mastermind is a rogue, so you get the benefits of being a first and second level rogue, Yeah, a little bit of sneak attack, some cunning action. Right, uh, expertise. At third level, you get Master of Tactics. You can take the help action as a bonus action, which grants an ally advantage on the next attack. And the real trick of it is the target can be within 30 feet of you. Normally, the target has to be within 5 feet. So... At range, you can help your allies hit things. That's just your bonus action. Hey, to the left. Yeah, like hit him in the kidney. <laughs> Try the eyes. Yeah. The eyes are usually a weak point. Right. What are you, Minsk? <laughs> the eyes, uh, boo. Go for the eyes. Did we, add, we should have added some Beastmaster Ranger. <laughs> 
Now, don't take any more Mastermind. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Just three levels. Get that ability and get out. <laughs> uh, and get into Fighter. So Fighter is the bread and butter of this, right? Uh, it, and it's going to be Battlemaster. So you're going to end up with five superiority dice of D10s. You'll take Protection Fighting Style, so you can grant disadvantage to attacks against your allies, which is mighty nice of you. Uh, but the the core of what you do is Commander Strike. Named after one of the basic attacks of the 4th edition Warlord. Exactly. So that takes a bonus action, unfortunately. (laughs) So you're only going to be able to do that once on a turn. And if you do it, you're not going to be able to use your other abilities. But still, uh, that takes one of your attacks. There are some other abilities that I have dug out of the Battlemaster maneuvers that I think will fit. So one is Rally, which gives uh, temp HP to your ally as a bonus action. Parry, which will reduce incoming damage as a reaction. Maneuvering attack, which does require a hit, but it lets an ally effectively take the disengage action for free. So if you have to make an attack, at least one of your allies can do something else. Right. Something Uh, useful. Exactly. And then evasive footwork, which is uh, sort of an alternative to the disengage action. It lets you add your superiority die to your AC until you stop moving so the idea behind it is one not costing a bonus action unlike cunning action uh and and two if you need to disengage from something you just make your ac 30 and then you can't get hit (laughs) one of the things i like about lazy lords in general but this build is if you're not going to be making any attacks you can do the things that normally you wouldn't do because they hurt your attacks. Like, say, close your eyes. <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't have to look at that Medusa. Someone else is going to attack it. Exactly. Or if there are archers nearby, lie down. <laughs> yeah. That gives them a minus to attack you. You can still aid from 30 feet away. That's true. Talk about lazy. Right. Uh, and then Valor Bard, which is basically getting bardic inspiration. Uh, it's also handy because you get jack of all trades and expertise. But uh, you'll end up with a D8 inspiration die that will recharge on a short rest, and you can give them to your allies as a bonus action, and it costs you nothing when they spend them, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the point, right? Load them up early so that they can take advantage of them once the fight starts. Right. I love the idea of lying on the ground with your loot and just strumming it. Yeah. (laughs) That's very Alan Adale. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe aim to the left, Robin. Right. (laughs) So you're going to get five ASIs, boost that uh, dexterity and charisma, and you've got room for fun feats, right? You're mostly fighter. Yeah. So, you know, you could take martial adept if you want to just gain another superior to die, be boring, but you could take some fun stuff too. Lucky, for example. All right. So Shane, tell us about your lazy lord. So my lazy lord is a halfling who uses a whip. And also uses his allies for cover. (laughs) So unlike the party unfriendly (laughs) mastermind level nine ability, which lets you make an attack that hits you hit an ally instead, uh, you'll just kind of, you know, maneuver things in front of you with your maneuvering attack. But, uh, but yeah, I think he grew up on a farm, um, is, uh, probably like a pig wrangler, something like that. Uh, you know, and, and pigs are uh, pretty brutal creatures, so he wouldn't really want to get too close to them. He's got the whip to sort of maintain his authority in that pig pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, uh, you know, 
he, uh, he gets kind of forced into adventuring. You know, farm gets burned to the ground. Uh, he's got to, you know, take up the adventurer's mantle, but he doesn't really want to lift a finger to help. He's kind of a, you know, more of an idea man, more of a face <laughs> than he is really a strong arm. What about your idea? My lazy lord is a high elf. Oh. Totally playing against type. The cantrip is something that doesn't require an attack roll. Do wizards get friends? I forget. Something along those lines. Yeah. You know, blade ward, whatever. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Don't hit me in the face. Light. <laughs> uh, in one hand, he's got his shield for protection fighting style. And in the other hand, usually some kind of food. Oh, okay. Drumstick. Yeah. Lembus bread. Okay. Usually stolen. Yep. Something, because he's eating all the time. Thin as a rail, eating all the time. Lying down when possible, travel-stained cloak, also food-stained. Yeah. You know, doesn't really care about mud, doesn't really wash themselves that much. Of course, he's an elf, so he doesn't really need to get washed that often. Yeah. But travels with the party, motions with the drumstick as they're fighting, and says, I don't know, maybe, maybe hit him, hit him harder. Right. <laughs> no, no, do it again. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. You guys, You guys are doing great. I see him taking expertise in all of the knowledge skills. <laughs> and that's why he's kept around is because he actually knows quite a bit. That's kind of handy. Sage background. Doesn't bring it up, though. Right. right? Wait, hold on. You, you've you known where this has been the whole time? <laughs> yeah, you didn't ask. Yeah. I, I feel like he's got to be like the little brother of of a regular <laughs> high elf wizard, you know? And he's like, he's like... Mom and dad made me bring them along, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, their relations are, like, high-powered and ambitious. And he's just the seventh son of a seventh son. Yeah, the, the black sheep of the family. <laughs> I wasn't going to get anything anyway. Right. <laughs> do you know what the inheritance structure is like? <laughs> I I do, actually. I'm also a lawyer. <laughs> Let's build the lazy lawyer at some point. Okay. <laughs> All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review in the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And we've got a review. Good for all ages. Five stars by Vin Oop. I found this podcast about three months ago when my son was born. Yeah, Congratulations. I'm becoming a father. I don't think we had anything to do with it, but you're welcome. <laughs> Not congratulations on finding the podcast. <laughs> congratulations on Yeah, we're very sorry that you found the podcast. Yeah. Our apologies. <laughs> I'm a DM and have had to put my game on hold for a while, and this podcast has filled that lonely void nicely. My son and I listen together as he falls asleep. Most of our listeners do. And I learn new and interesting things that will help me with my game when I can start playing again. Thanks so much terrifies me that i might be subconsciously influencing a child oh dear lord but this is the kind of stuff that we love to hear there are always times in some of our lives where like we can't play as much as we want to and so i think a lot of us do turn to podcasts Mm -hmm. that's definitely how i got started with podcasts yeah i mean people don't typically choose this one no no not at all to each his or her own people don't generally choose our podcast anyway so (laughs) not in the any's anyway oh true yeah still hurts Always. All right. What do we have planned for next week's episode? 
<laughs> we're actually talking about burnout. Oh, fitting. And in the character creation forge? We're building the bite smiter. Or, or maybe the smite biter? Something like that. Well, that's it for episode 70 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.